0: Well, we're asking a question in this series, and the question is this, is what is the reference point for your life? What is the reference point for your life? We can have Christ as our reference point, the verse I mentioned earlier, Colossians chapter three, Christ, who is your life, or you and I can have culture as our reference point. That culture is our life. In other words, we can have a Christ-centered, Christ-focused life, Or we can have a a life that's centered around culture and culture being the primary focus or influence upon our life. Now last week, we explained the reality. The reality that you and I can bounce back and forth between Christ and culture. I highly encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to go watch or listen to last week's message. And if you were here last week, I encourage you to go and and re-watch or listen. It's critical for our ongoing discussion in this series that you have the context of what we shared last week. Our reference point, we're hoping that you choose Christ as your reference point, our reference point is what we are calling the Jesus Way. And what's the Jesus Way? Well, the Jesus Way is his teachings, it's his, li- it's his lifestyle, it's Jesus' approach to people, how he interacted with people, what Jesus said to people. In other words, what was his way with people? And we've said that applying the Jesus way in our life is actually pretty challenging. It's challenging, and, it's, and in fact, applying the Jesus way is in fact messy at times. And that's because John chapter 1 tells us this about Jesus, that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And so Jesus was able to perfectly be the embodiment of both of those, but you and I have a difficult time applying grace and truth in our life. We tend to lean one way or the other, depending on the circumstance, situation, or just kind of how the way we're wired. And so it's challenging to, to have the Jesus way, demonstrating grace and truth in all situations. It's hard to navigate that in our lives. And so as we... Uh, tiptoe, if you will, or or dunk our toe, uh, probably a better way to say it, dunk our foot even, into the messy application of topics that were relevant in the first century and they're still relevant today, we're going to do so with Jesus, with Christ, as our reference point and not culture. We're looking at these topics through the lens of the Jesus way and we're trying to use the Bible correctly to constantly course correct in our personal lives wherever we find ourselves allowing culture to creep into our thinking. Wherever we allow culture to think into our decision-making rather than Christ leading our decision-making for our life. So that, with that as kind of a quick su- uh, summary or uh, introduction for us today, I wanna dive in. I wanna share some names or words to kind of get us going into today's message. So we have Ferguson, Michael Brown, Officer Darren Wilson, Baltimore, Freddie Gray, and six officers. You have Dallas, Micah Xavier, and five officers. You have Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman, Stephon Clark, and two officers. Charlotte, North Carolina. Black lives matter. Blue lives matter. All lives matter. Protests, riots, name-calling, arrests, lawsuits, racism and discrimination dominate our news today. Would you kind of agree with that a little bit? Racism and discrimination have led to attacks, to murders, even mass Bombings and mass shootings. Here's the question, if Christ is our reference point and not culture, then how do we respond? How do you respond? Do you discriminate? Are you a racist? How do you even know? You see, we see and hear all the various arguments and perspectives and solutions that are coming at us, but the question we're asking, what is God's perspective? How should Jesus' followers respond to the very volatile topic of discrimination? Again, if Christ is your reference point and not culture, then what's the Jesus way in all of this? Now, i got to say something before we dive in any further, and this is really important for today's message. The temptation for you today will be to hear everything that's said through the lens of politics, and I want to encourage you, don't go there. You're going to be tempted to view what we're talking about today through the lens of politics. Don't go there. We'll do that in a couple weeks, but don't go there today. Today, I want to encourage you to hear everything that God wants to share with us through the lens of what does this have to do with me? How does this, how do I respond? How do I live out the Jesus way as my reference point? How does God want me to act and to react to racism, to discrimination? Me. So I'm encouraging you, don't travel the politics scene today. You will miss where we're headed. We'll do that in a different week. Today, you're looking inside, say, God, how do you want me to act, and how do you want me to react as somebody who is allowing the Jesus way to lead me into these very difficult topics? With that in mind, we turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And let me give you set this up real quick. Genesis was written by Moses about 1450 B.C., he was written, it was written when the Jewish people had, had uh, been freed from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and now they're wandering the desert trying to get into the promised land. In Genesis chapter 1, is kind of a, a quick recap of creation, and one of the things we learn in Genesis chapter 1 is that God created, and he created this really cool place for you and I to live and to thrive and to, and to have life. And then we get to the culmination of his creation in verse 26. Let's read this together. We're going to say a few words. We, we tend to do that every week, and I want you to uh, out loud say these words with me when I ask you to join in. Genesis one twenty six says this. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. And right there you get in the very first chapter of the Bible, you get a, a little bit of a glimpse into the Trinity. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. Over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27. So God created mankind in his own what? In his own image. image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, God created male and female, which we plan to talk about next week. And I want you to notice Genesis says we were created in the image or another way to say it in the likeness of God, which means that in some way we are God bearers. In other words, we bear his image, we bear his likeness, we are image bearers of God. So what does image or likeness mean? It means that God has given us unique, special inherited traits that reflect deity. The, in, in, in this verse, verse 26, that animals don't have. Animals weren't created in the image or likeness of God. Only people have that. And maybe you think about it a little bit this way. Uh, if you have kids, think about your kids. I, I think about my kids and, and how my kids are in the image or the likeness of Heather and I. In fact, this week, somebody said to me of one of my sons, they said, Your son is your identical twin. And and sure, we look alike. It's not talking about visually, even though that is true. What they were saying was, is that my son has inherited the traits that I have, that Heather have, and, and, and they're being displayed in his life. So what is created in the image or likeness of God? What does that look like? How does that make us distinct from the animals? Let me just run through, give you a few. There's more, but let me give you a few. First of all, we know, for example, that God is love, right? You know that, that God is love. So we, humankind, we have this. We all want to be loved, and we all want to love. In fact, in the New Covenant principle, Jesus gave us this command. John chapter 13, he said, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Which is why genuine Jesus followers are constantly asking themselves, What does loving like Jesus require of me? I would encourage you to ask that question throughout this entire series. The series will make more sense to you if you're constantly asking, what does loving like Jesus require of me in this circumstance, in this situation? Created in the image of God means we are involved in this thing called love. What else does it mean to be an image bearer of God? Well, we know that God is creative. And, And part of God's creativity and sense of humor is seen in creation, right? In what he's created in in the animals. And you could just begin to look at pictures of of different animals and see God's creativity. I thought I'd give you a few of them on the screen right here. These first couple are are referred to, go to the next one, referred to as a blanket octopus. I I didn't know that that was an octopus. This one right here is called a dumbo octopus. Uh, And you see God's creativity. Now what about this one? This is a naked mole rat. And so, if you want to head down to the pet store and get your child a naked mole rat, I mean, what was God thinking creating something like that? Well, because he's God and he's creative. Next, you have a, a rose maple moth. Incredibly creative. Now, look at this next one. I think you know what this is. What's this? A sea dragon seahorse. Incredible what God created. Then you have this one. This is fascinating to me. This is called the tardigrade Water bear. Tell me that doesn't look fake. That does not look real. That looks like someone put on a suit, you know, blew it up, and and yet God created this microscopic uh, organism, if you will, which this thing right here can actually survive in outer space. God created that. He created Wilson's bird of paradise, and this is that same bird when it's in its mating routine and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the creativity of God. So image or likeness of God is that people are created also. And you see that, don't you? We have poetry. We have music, the arts, inventions. All of this was given to us by God. Animals don't have that. What else? Well, we know that God also is just. And so you and I, as image bearers of God, we value justice. That laws matter. Right and wrong matters. It matters to us. Why? Because we're image bearers of god animals by contrast uh, you could probably say the only real uh, uh, law they have it's instinctive by nature and it's simply what's the law in the jungle survival of the right that's all they have as an image bearer of god god we know is spirit every culture throughout history has a spiritual component involved in it why because we are image bearers of God. Animals don't have that. What's the point? The point is that we are different than animals. But also, because of the fact that we are image bearers of God, it means that everyone, every person, has special intrinsic value and worth because it was God-given. So to say that one person or one people or one people group is better or superior than another is to discriminate against what God has created. God has given value, worth, to all. Why? He's the one who created. He created the races. He created the groups. We just gave you an example. He created the diversity. And all groups of people are representations of God. They are all image bearers of God. So, the Jesus way, loving like Jesus, starts with simply showing every person value, dignity, and worth. Everyone, it doesn't matter your gender, it doesn't matter your race, it doesn't matter your age, Christian, non-Christian, liberal, conservative, black, white, yellow, brown, red, we're all image bearers, which leaves no room for discrimination. Well, the Jewish people lost sight of this. This is something God shared with them, and they lost sight of it. And, and for example, within the Jewish society, everybody who was not part of their group of people were considered unclean, at least spiritually speaking. And so the Jews took that, and they avoided people or groups of people that were not like them. They wouldn't go into other people who weren't like them. They wouldn't go into their homes. They wouldn't eat their food. They wouldn't even go into their neighborhood. The Jews were separate. So Jesus comes along and he says, man, I want to demonstrate the heart of God and I want to show God's people what it is they missed. So you see that throughout the life and ministry of Jesus. You see the Jesus way. For example, he would touch people who were sick. And people, Jewish people had labeled them, identified sick people as people you couldn't touch and Jesus would touch them. Jesus met with a Samaritan woman in John chapter four. That wasn't normal for Jewish people to spend time with Samaritans. It wasn't normal for a rabbi, a male rabbi to spend time with a female. Jesus crossed two barriers that were set up. Jesus shared stories and he loved to emphasize how God feels about people. And one of those stories he told was about a Jewish guy who had been beaten half to death. And, and, and then he says, Jesus says, there's these different Jewish people, who, who, his brothers, if you will, who walked by him. And none of them stopped to help. In fact, one was even a priest, a holy man, and he didn't stop to, to help. And Jesus in the story said, only one person stopped. You and I might know him as the what? The, the good Samaritan. Some of you know that story in Luke 10. And Jesus was trying to demonstrate that all people matter. We see the Jesus way applied in Acts chapter 15. You see this in the story in Acts 15? This is actually a story about the church. And in this church, you have Jewish Christians who could not get over their racial distinctions that they had between themselves and Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians discriminated against the Gentile Christians. They wanted the Gentile church to become Jewish, to obey all the Jewish laws and obey all the Jewish customs. And in this passage, Peter stands up and he begins to tell this assembly of Jewish Christians they were not living the Jesus way. And I want you to notice what he said in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 8. Peter said, God knows people's hearts and he confirmed that he he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. In other words, they got saved just like we did. And here's the key. I want to say this together. This is about God. What did Peter say? God made no what? God made no distinction, distinction between us and them. For he cleansed their hearts through faith, parentheses, just like us. Verse 10. And this is key for us when it comes to Discrimination. So why are you, what's the word? Why are you, why are you, verse 10, so why are you now? Sorry, I should have said now. You're like now. Good job. My bad. So why are you now? Thanks for the grace. Now, why are you now, 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 now? Why are you challenging God by burdening Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of our Lord Jesus. Man, when you and I discriminate, we are challenging God. James, the leader of the church, he concluded in verse 19, he said, here's my judgment. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. That's a whole sermon right there. Because for 2,000 years, the church has made it difficult for those who are turning to God because they haven't lived out the love like Jesus principle. We shouldn't make it difficult for people who are turning to God and try to make them fit into our little box. They tried to create a category of people, and Paul and Peter and James John all of them they said there's no there's no categories because when you do that that's discrimination God makes no distinction because we are all image bearers of God you see discrimination divides rather than brings the unity that God wants for the for the church and ultimately even for the world Well, we actually have the story of why it is that uh, Peter could conclude that God makes no distinction in Acts 15. That story is told back in Acts 10. And Peter, uh, uh, he was was, uh, up on the roof and he was tired and he had a dream and he fell asleep and he had this dream. And in the midst of this dream curtain comes down with a whole bunch of unclean animals to jewish people and god says in that dream he says i want you to take these animals and i want you to eat them and peter a good little jewish person said no i can never eat those those are unclean and god says no no you take those and you eat those don't call unclean what i've made what i've created and so so he wakes up from that dream and the next thing you know there's a knock on his door and there's a gentile there that says to peter hey i want you to come to my master's house his name's cornelius he's a centurion so Peter connects these dots. Don't call unclean what I've made clean, God said. He goes to uh, Cornelius' house. He really shares the gospel. He realizes that Cornelius and his household, God does a miracle. They get saved just the same way as Peter and all his Jewish Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, how they got saved. And Peter realized, oh my goodness, God's not a racist. And that was a profound discovery for him in that moment. And he says this, Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter began to speak. He said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Discrimination is favoritism. And God doesn't do that. He doesn't show favoritism. And then we have the Apostle Paul, who was a recovering racist himself. He discriminated more than most. And here's what Paul said. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, he said, in this new life, he's talking about you, if you're a Jesus follower, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Listen, when Paul wrote that, he might even have had tears in his eyes or smiling because he'd been He'd been liberated from his racist, discriminatory tendencies that he had had his whole life. There's huge racial distinctions in these verses. But Paul's telling us with God, there is no distinction. There is no difference. There are no favorites with God. The Jesus way says there is zero tolerance for discrimination or racism. But the Culture's way says something different, doesn't it? Culture says there is a difference. Culture says we have to differentiate. We have to distinguish. Culture says we need to group people together and we need to avoid those who are not in my group or we need to elevate the status of one group or demote or demean the status of another group. In fact, culture will tell us that sometimes, sometimes in culture it will say, you even need to hate those not in your group. But let me help you understand what God's talking about through this by giving you an example. So I want to ask you what's your favorite food group, okay? And we're going to have everybody participate. Here's the only rule is you only can pick one, okay? So you only can pick one. I want you to raise your hand, uh, give you a few different food groups. Let's kind of see the uh, variety, diversity in our room, okay, In, in the room here this morning. So number one, if Mexican food is your favorite food group, raise your hand. Okay, a lot of us, amen to that one, all right? All right, if Italian food is your favorite food group, raise your hand. Okay, quite a bit there, still we got a lot. Okay, if Chinese food is your favorite food group, raise your hand, not as many, we have a few. Uh, Let me throw one more, how about Mediterranean food? If Mediterranean's your favorite food group, we got a couple there. Uh, Okay, one last room, one, because this is a food group too, Uh, In-N-Out Burger. Now, wouldn't it be silly if all the people who like Mexican food said to those who like Italian food, Italian food is stupid. And if you like Italian food, you're wrong. In fact, if you like Italian food, not only is it stupid and you're wrong, you're bad for liking Italian food. Now, we wouldn't say that, would we? We wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say I want nothing to do with Italian food lovers. We might say I want nothing to do with Raiders fans, but outside of that, no. I just, it was going so well. But we wouldn't, love is greater than hate, right? I should have worn that t-shirt again. We wouldn't do that. But why? don't you to think about it for a moment. Why wouldn't you do that? Well, because you know that food is not an issue of good or bad. Yeah, there's good or bad food, but it's not an issue of good or bad. It's an issue of what? Preference, right? You have a preference. So your favorite or your preference doesn't for you dictate if something is good or bad unless you let it unless you allow it to be so. God has created diversity and humanity, and we all have preferences, we all have favorites. I think you would agree with that, right? We have that. In fact, we married a preference. If you're married, tall, short, skinny, thick, lots of hair, balding, blue eyes, brown eyes, artistic, athletic, All of that is diversity. But discrimination says, oh, if you're one of those types, then you're wrong. And you're inferior. And you're less than. And you're lower than me. You're not as fill in the blank as me. And when we do that, we're devaluing them. And we're sinning against who? We're sinning against God And what's the reason why? Because we're all image bearers of God who all deserve to be treated with honor, dignity, and respect. When preference, or another word, opinion, when it becomes good and bad, or when diversity that God created becomes for us right and wrong, that's when it becomes discrimination. In today's culture, talks about and promotes discrimination. It categorizes people. It labels people. It groups people. But if Christ is our reference point and not culture, we just don't go there. We don't travel that path. Yes, of course, an individual needs to be held accountable for their actions. We see throughout the New Testament that God calls certain behavior sin. And sin has consequences. But here's the deal. Discrimination takes a person's behavior and assumes that person or small group of people upon an entire people group or neighborhood or an entire demographic. Discrimination and racism causes us to say or think, those people, those people. Mm -mm. It's not those people, it's, well, that person that person. In fact, we saw this a a couple months ago. There was a Pharisee who thought, he was praying to God of all things. And he even said to God, I thank God that I'm not like those people. He didn't realize he was challenging God. Don't confuse an individual's behavior with an entire group of people. Otherwise, you risk discrimination. I want you to turn with me to James chapter two. Look up a couple more verses here. James chapter 2. Remember, James was the one in Acts chapter 15 who said, we should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. Let's not impose our categories and rules and all this extra stuff on people. Let's, let's not get in the way of what God's trying to do in their life. And so James gives this example and he says this. He follows up, he understands this, and he understands the church was struggling and dealing with this. And he says, My brothers and sisters, so he's talking to the church. He's not talking to those outside of the church. My brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, or believers in our Lord Jesus Christ must not what? They must not show favoritism. And then he illustrates this. He's telling you and I, I don't want you to show favoritism. No distinctions. No categories, no labels, and then he gives an example. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And back then, about 10% of the population was wealthy and 90% were, were slaves. And so if you have this one person, this gold man come into your, na- into your meeting, he's wearing a gold ring, which meant he was a rich businessman. Look at the contrast. But then you also have a poor man in filthy old clothes who comes in. Verse 3, here's, here's what he says to us. So you got the rich guy, poor guy. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, hey, I got a good seat for you. Come here, hang out with me, sit with me. But you say to the poor man, wow, you go stand over there. Or how about you sit right here on the floor at my feet? Look at what James said in verse 4. When you do that, have you not what? Have you not discriminated amongst yourself and, oh my goodness, and become judges with, what's the word, with evil evil thoughts. Discrimination is evil, period. Discrimination is evil, and it fails to value. This is why it's evil. It fails to value those who are image bearers of God. It's evil. And also, James is letting us know that discrimination has an element of self-promotion in it. I don't know if we've ever thought about it that way. In James' example, when you give no attention to the poor person, why is it that you give no attention to the poor person? What's the reason? Well, the poor, poor person won't do anything for you. They won't add value to you. They won't give you anything. They can't contribute to you. But I'm gonna honor the rich person, why? You never know. Might come through for me. Might be able to take me, hey, it's a church, we need this, we need a new driveway that you know, we put in. Praise God the driveway went in just in the nick of time as they closed down a bunch of parking out there. Hey, this poor this rich person, you never know what they can give or how they'll help me. Discrimination is rooted in personal benefit, self, me, self-promotion. What can I get? Jesus hung out with people sinners, tax collectors, sick people people who are set aside by society. Was there any benefit to Jesus personally to hanging out with those people? Actually, the answer is no. It just caused more gossip and friction for them. Why did Jesus spend time with those people? Jesus wasn't doing it for self, to serve self, but to be others serving. And I don't want you to miss it, because this is the Jesus way. The Jesus way, your reference point, is to serve others for their benefit, to serve others for for their benefit. So I want to tie this into discrimination. Ah, I I looked up uh, the uh, definition of the word antidote. I thought the definition was very interesting. Listen to this. Here's the definition for antidote. Antidote is a medicine taken to counteract a poison. Discrimination is poison. I think you'd agree with that. And the antidote to counteract discrimination in our lives is that we would serve others. That's the Jesus way, that we would serve others. And I would argue especially anybody where we find ourselves saying those people. That's the antidote to discrimination. But culture saying, no, 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 it's all about serving self. It's all about serving self. In fact, it's so ingrained in us, we don't even realize it. In fact, let me ask you this. Uh, uh, Let's say you're gonna take a group picture with you and friends. And you take the group picture and you're like, hey, I, I wanna get this on my social media account. So you take that group picture. When you go to look at the picture, who do you look at? You look at yourself, right? And if you look good in that picture, you're like, boom, post that right now. If somebody else doesn't look good in the picture, what do I care about them? Man, I look good and people are telling you look amazing and you're jumping on board with that. It's just kind of in us, it's the self, self. That's what uh, society does. That's what culture says, it's self. And when we do that, when we show partiality to ourself, it's discrimination. It's discrimination when, we're, when it's about us and promoting self. If we don't like what they have to offer, delete, get rid of it, get rid of them. The antidote to racism and discrimination the Jesus' way is to serve others. So as we wrap it up this morning, I want you to ask a question, a couple questions between you and God. How do you identify the seeds of discrimination in yourself? Remember I asked you in the beginning, do you discriminate? Are you a racist? How do you even know? So I wanna encourage you to ask yourself right now to allow the Lord to speak to your heart. How do you identify the seeds of racism in yourself? Well, I think we start by asking some tough questions. For example, we ask this question, who do I avoid or who would I avoid and why? Who do I avoid or who would I avoid and why? And I want you to think a couple different ways. You can think racially. Who do you avoid? Middle Easterners, Hispanics, African-Americans, Asians, Anglos. Who do you avoid and why? Because that's when you find out, if you can figure that out and, and why, that's when you find out if you're broad brushing or broad stroking or categorizing an entire group of people based on the action or behavior of one. Maybe for you, the seeds of discrimination in your life are financially related. That's the whole, you know, the rich man, poor man thing that James talked about. Maybe your discrimination is politically rooted. Again, we're gonna talk about politics later, but, but in this context, looking at self, ask yourself the questions. Who would you avoid and why? Would you avoid a Biden follower? Would you avoid a Trump supporter? Let me try it this way. When you see a Bernie for president sticker on somebody's car, or when you see somebody wearing a MAGA hat, where does your brain go about that person in that car that you know nothing about? Maybe for you the discrimination is sexual orientation or gender orientation related. Who do you avoid and why? You see, gang, the Jesus way, we're to be a light on the hill, to be salt of the earth. We're to be the hands and the feet of Jesus who would touch even those who are sick, who would interact with people not like us, who would, who would care for people, who would embrace sinners and tax collectors, who would hang out with Gentile and Jew. Why? Because they're human. Because they're image bearers of God. Jesus didn't categorize people. He didn't label groups of people. He didn't point fingers. Jesus didn't make accusations. Jesus demonstrated that all people are worthy of being treated with dignity, honor, and respect. Not because of their behavior. Because all people are image bearers of Almighty God.